Welcome to Change Hackers, providing daily insight and inspiration for people changing their world. I'm your host, Tony Cook, and I invite you to join me today in conversation with someone on the front line of driving change and transformation. My guest today is Rachel McClelland. Rachel is founder of The Beautiful Life, a creative company producing content across a variety of channels, including film, radio, podcasts, blogs, and print, to promote a sustainable future for all. She also provides creative consultancy to ethical businesses. Rachel spent 15 years in the entertainment industry working across TV, film and music, delivering projects for a number of high-profile names. I spoke to Rachel online from her home in Manchester, England. So Rachel, welcome to Change Hackers. Thank you. Maybe we start by just exploring your passions. What is it that drives you? Um, Primarily animal rights. Going back to when I was a very small child, my first passion in life has always been animals. And what drives me every day is thinking about when I'm very, very old, hopefully I'll get there. And looking back on my life, I want to know that I've made a significant difference to animals and the planet. What informed that view as a, as a young child? Um... As I heard from being about two years old, my dog Daisy, uh, she was kind of my best friend. And I just naturally had this utter obsession and passion for animals from a very, very young age. And the natural world just completely sort of um, inspired me. And I don't know, made me look at things in a different way. I, I always had a really creative imagination. I was always kind of looking into the horizon and wishing I could fly and all sorts of crazy things. Um, but animals, I just felt at some sort of quite a spiritual level, I guess, that there was some, it was a more quite a soulful connection to animals that I encountered. And I think I was, I was brought up in a Lancashire household, um, very typical working class Northern family, brought up eating every meat imaginable uh, from lamb chops to burgers to spam. (laughs) Um, And then at the age 17, came across something called vegetarianism, which I'd never really encountered. That was sort of uh, late eighties and thought, yeah, gosh, why I'm actually, I love animals and I'm eating them. This is crazy. So I became vegetarian. So that's about, uh going on going on 30 years ago at that time uh, and, and I, remember, I, remember, I think it was a similar sort of age the, the the around that sort of time it was it was very much sort of a fringe mm-hmm. sort of a way of life uh, you know it wasn't it was nothing like as mainstream as it is now um nothing like as accepted as understood by mainstream society and you know did, did that ever bother you was it or was this was a sort of personal choice that you you had conviction around and to hell with what any, anyone else thought about you. Yeah, I I always had quite a rebellious nature in a way. So I guess there was a little bit of it that, yeah, I'm going to do it to be different in a way, as well as my first passion being caring for animals. Um, I was very lucky, even though I was brought up in a fairly typical Lancashire family. My mum and dad always allowed me to be a free spirit. So I was very lucky, you know. I mean, my dad worked for Leila Motors in the warehouse. He had a very normal blue collar job. My mum was a secretary. Um, and he, but So even though they were quite sort of normal, I guess, in, in being typical working class people, um, they were just kind of whatever you want to do with your life, whatever you need to do, they, they were always really supportive. So 
I think it would have been a lot harder if I'd had parents that were saying, oh, don't be ridiculous. You can't do this. You can't do that, you know. Um, but yeah, so firstly, it's I guess my parents supported it. Um, and as far as anybody else, I didn't really care what anybody else thought. <laughs> so and at the end of the day, I knew that I was doing right by the animals and that really was all that mattered. So to begin with, something in terms of personal choice, personal personal lifestyle, um, uh, th what was the point at which it became something that you wanted to um, amplify the signal on? You know, be something that that you were part of driving change um, in the interests of animals. You know, on on a broader canvas. Well, um, there's quite a, a. I'll try and keep this fairly brief, but there is a bit of a journey here. So at the age of thirteen, I saw somewhere. I saw. I mean, there was no internet then, obviously, um, and I saw an ad for a Northwest coordinator for the Animal Health Trust. And I didn't. The Animal Health Trust. They're not. They're a great organisation because they do health research for animals, but it's largely farm animals. So you know, with respect to them, it's not an organisation that I would work with now because they are. They it, that goes against my core beliefs for obvious reasons. Um, but at the age of 13, I got in touch and ended up being the Northwest coordinator, which at that age was a bit of a big undertaking. But I just wanted to do some voluntary work, knowing that I was doing something which I thought was linked with animals, you know. Um, and I only did that for about a year. And then it was when I was 17 that I went vegetarian um, and uh, got involved with um, sort of anti-hunt activity. So, you know, hunt sabotages and stuff like that. Um, and then I think for my early 20s, I kind of, that was when I embarked on a career in the television and film industry. And I kind of lost sight of my soul in a way and what my life's purpose was. And I went off into this journey and it's probably only about five years ago that I became sort of returned to this my, my life purpose and actually actively on a day-to-day -day basis doing something which was completely all about reducing abuse um, of animals. Was there a growing realization that that you know there was a possibility out there for you to align both your professional um, uh, experience and, and skills with with your mission? Yes, absolutely. Although that it's only probably the last six months that act that actually that has happened in the most perfect way possible. Um, I've always, whatever I've done in life, I've always grown up and believed that anything is possible, providing that you focus on it and you learn what you need to learn to get there. Um, I'm also a great believer that, you know, in thinking that anything is possible, you have to be realistic about what you as an individual should be doing and what you do, you know, what your life purpose is. Because when I worked in the music industry for a few years and I came across so many young people that were like, I want to be a singer, I want to be a rapper, I want to do this. And it's kind of, well, actually, you know, you, you need to suss out what your beautiful and brilliant skills are in life because we all have these amazing things to offer. Um, but it's part of a very hard part is figuring out what your skills are and, and how best to use them. That's going to make you feel really fulfilled and happy. I've kind of always at the back of my mind, I've had these thoughts that I wanted to combine this love of filmmaking, for example, and of being a, cre a very creative person and use those skills and combine them to, um, you know, with my passion so that I could um, 
do something on a quite a, a large scale to positively influence change. Um, and it's literally, as I say, the last six months that that I've had this opportunity and that's been what's going on. Um, and it's, I, I can honestly say since being a child, I've never been happier in my life. And it's an amazing place to be. So it's taken a long time to get to that point. Yeah. But now there's this realisation that actually you can do this yes. stuff um, yeah. where it's perfectly aligned. Yeah. So yeah. You tell us a little bit about this. What, what is this latest project you've been working on? So um, I've been working uh, with a charity called World Meat Free Week, which is a global organisation. And they focus on the link between meat production and consumption and climate change. Um, so... It's quite widely known that, for example, the transport industry has a devastating impact on the environment, but meat also has an equally devastating impact, regardless of the animal ethics um, issue and you know health issues and so on. Um, so World Meat Free Week focuses purely on that link. Uh, they bring in a little bit of stuff about the health and animal ethics um, issues. Um, so basically, we were commissioned to shoot five films. So we had to research and find amazing people all over the planet um, who had quite unique stories to tell. So one of them, um, we shot um, a film at the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, which was a cattle ranch in Texas. Um, the, the, the founder, the rancher, Tommy, his wife went vegan, having sort of developed friendships with some of the cows. Uh, it nearly resulted in their divorce, but eventually Tommy followed suit and now they're both plant-based and they now have an, a sanctuary um, and obviously stopped sending animals off to slaughter. Um, and it's this, meeting these people around the world, it just goes to show that, you know, anybody can do anything. We each have full control over our lives. You know, we are each our own agent and every single person on this planet can make a difference, you know. Um, and, you know, if you get a rancher who changes their lifestyle in such a dramatic way, we, we met a butcher in Australia who went vegan, all these people who were quite at the extreme of meat eating and production, um, and they've made these radical changes. It just goes to show that anything is possible. What's your sense of the power of um, film for storytelling around issues like this? It's the most powerful medium. Um, and there are a lot of statistics to support that. Um, I know having done quite a bit of marketing related work in the past, um, film is the most effective way to get across a message. I, I think it has to be treated with respect because I think film is best used when it is to share really important messages that impact mankind and animal species and the planet, etc. Um, but yeah, it's by far the most, um, the most effective and powerful medium um you know and it can it's not just that it's entertaining as well you know so it's it's that sort of triple triple whammy really it's and it's entertaining it's educating it's information you know going back to the old bbc Rethian values really um but um yeah i mean it's just i mean it's such an honor to work on films like this which are going to go out to a global audience of about 200 million people um and you know to to align that with um Wow. Yeah. It's quite yeah. a responsibility, really, yeah. to, to, to produce um, content like that, yeah. knowing that it's going yeah. to reach that many people and influence their thinking. I wonder, as you're curating, putting together a, um, a commission like that, thinking about the five films you're going to make, how do you tread the line around the, the narrative arc um, that you're trying to create 
around it you know we've had a lot of people on this show that that have talked about Mm -hmm. about narrative about meta narrative and about the the need to shift particularly on the sustainability agenda broadly and and then on the individual topics within that the the need to shift from the kind of doom and gloom nihilistic pretty demotivating kind of narrative to a more optimistic there's a better way of living that yes. you know we just need to become more civilized yeah. kind of kind of narrative when you're filmmaking you know how, how are you balancing those two because you, you don't no. want to dodge uh, the negatives but you, i presume you want to end up with an optimistic message as well absolutely, completely i mean i think that there's absolutely a need for hardline reporting and documentaries um because i think as a society we need we need to know for example what goes on in slaughterhouses i However, to, to instigate change with some of the more fervent meat eaters, for example, amongst us, I think it, it, it has to be about that. It has to be inspirational. It has to be amazing, inspiring, empowering stories of people that have done something great and come out the other end and benefited from it. Um, and the key point of these films when we first started researching the stories it was all about what we talked about in our meetings it was all about success stories and it was all about completely and utterly focusing on really great stories that weren't going to talk about you know the horrific things that go on in slaughterhouses and you know we we lead that to you know the earthlings and the cowspiracies of the world because they're doing that job um you know these are short films which um, they just have to be really positive, um, and, and they are. They're shot really beautifully. You know, we we had um, we had a great director doing them, um, so they're shot beautifully. The content is really beautiful. There, there are odd mentions um, within the films that are very real, realistic, and that you know, I, I felt it important to bring across some shock the odd shocking fact but they're wrapped up in the story so it's kind of and, and I've played a couple of the rough cuts to meat eating friends who've been who've watched them and been like oh my god this is amazing this is I can't believe I've never thought of any of this and it's amazing and then you get to the odd hard hard line fact and they're like oh oh my god and I said do we need to take that out and it's like no 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 we, we didn't know that it's you have to leave a bit of that in um, but yeah, it's all about, you know, this is all about creating a beautiful world, you know, and so we have to almost get people to picture that in their minds and to think it's almost like, let's create some form of utopia, you know, and actually you can be play a part in that. All you have to do is cut out meat one day a week, you know, in my world, ideally, you know, cut it out forever <laughs> as well as dairy, but you know, we can all do a bit of something and actually that it has a tangible impact. You know. There's something quite um, quite powerful there around around behaviour change and social norms, mm. um, and particularly within communities like that. You know, in the, the Texas ranching community, you know, where where your livelihood's your social life too, mm. um, and you know your your standing in the community, how you're respected, um, you know, your family's reputation, all that kind of stuff, you know, is at stake, mm. and uh, and yet people have the courage to change. Yeah. So, you know, is, is the problem here at a wider scale that we don't yet have enough people prepared to have that courage um, to, you know, go out on a limb and uh, and make a brave decision to, to live differently? I I think, I like to think that the majority of people are brave enough. I think, you know, we've, 
potentially discredit people by thinking that it's only the minority that are going to stand up and be counted when actually I don't think it is I think we've all got maybe got a bit lazy because we've kind of given up a bit with politics and we won't go too much into that but you know global politics is just in disarray um but and I but and I, and I think we've all been dumbed down which not wanting to get too into any sort of alternative theories you know we are all individual people we are extremely powerful in our own right and we can actually instigate change from a grass from a grassroots level um and I, and i think we all need to re- just remember that and to be empowered by it i think parkland was a good example of that you know you're seeing young people um with agency mm. and feeling that they actually can do something and they can get themselves straight in front of the president and and challenge him yeah. on on what needs to change whether it'll change or not i don't know but we shouldn't wait for governments to do things you know as, no. as sort of all of us everyday normal so to speak people Governments are only going to do so much and and primarily how they behave is down to economics, you know, Um, so we need to change things we there's if we waited for government to make a difference we it would never ever happen and within 50 years we won't even have a planet, you know, so there is it's vital I think that every single person who maybe wants a nice life wants a better world wants to be fulfilled, whatever the motivation, we find other like minded people. And we come together and make a difference, even if it is. A t- it's literally about the tiny things you do every day mm. that make a massive difference. And then, you know, the more you talk about it and share it, the more pe- other people question things and, and jump on board. Um, and before you know it, we have a revolution. Is, is that what we're heading for? <laughs> well, I, t- I truly believe we're at the start of a revolution. And having spoken to a lot of people you know, in in movements from environmental movements to animal rights movements, you know, there is a real, there's a, a, a big shift starting to happen. And it's not just about the environment or animals, it's about the human race. And it's about people being tired of this world that we're living in and, and all the bad things about it, when actually, for the most part, it's a wondrous planet. We just need to sort of make these tiny differences. And it's and again, it's not just about having the planet being sustainable. It's actually what what opportunities it will bring about for younger people coming up. You know, I think it's a really we're living in a really exciting time. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm assuming by revolution you're thinking of a a, a peaceful people's coup, um, ra- yeah. ra- rather than. <laughs> Yes. I'm clear that there, that there are potentially losers from this yeah. who have vested yeah. interest in the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's there is this shift that's starting to occur. And so, at an individual level, do you buy into the idea that people have greater agency through the organisations in which they have power, responsibility, uh, status? You know, or or is it people potentially equally powerful? Um, you know, as independent individuals. I think, yes, as independent individuals, we're equally, equally powerful. I think we have, to, we have to sort of hone our skills at an individual level and prepare ourselves and we have to always learn. And a great piece of advice that somebody once gave me was that if you have a particularly strong view about something, go and find somebody that has the absolute opposite view to you and listen and understand them you know and I think 
you know, it's all about educating and developing ourselves as individuals. And the more you do that, the more powerful you become. And I'm not talking about power as a, as a means to attain wealth and such like. I'm talking about power to just carve out a better life and a better world. You know, it, there has to always be this equal balance, I think, between self-fulfillment and what you're giving back to society and the planet. It's, you know, I'm a real fan of the triple bottom line theory, people, planet and profit, mm. where it's fine to do well in your life. It's fine if you, if you want to get rich, fine, but make sure you put equal effort and money or whatever it is back into the planet and other species and you know and and just that level of altruism uh, i mean altruism is scientifically proven to to make us happier you know when we do somebody a good turn or you know uh, give a bit of money to charity um we feel good about it um so it's not like giving and helping others is, is hard work, it's, it's about that we're actually gonna reap the rewards, we're gonna get, get it back anyway. So it's kind of win-win, you know? And just imagine the, if everybody did a good turn every day, we'd just have a much nicer world. And, and back to the skills point you made, I mean, you know, everyone has something different to bring. From your own experiences, you know, and how long it's taken to get that convergence of your, you know, what you can bring, what you can offer. Um, you know your filmmaking skills uh, alongside the, um, the the mission. You know the the, the issues you, you're interested in and want to have agency on. Looking back on, on your career to date, can you see a way ways in which, with hindsight, you could have accelerated that process? So you you could you could have got to that convergence quicker. Yeah, I don't think I could have accelerated because I think what I'm doing now. I've learned so much and I don't think it, the life lessons and, and the sort of intellectual lessons could have necessarily come any quicker, you know, because I think it's like I've made lots of mistakes over the years and I sometimes look back and think if only I'd done that differently. And then I immediately think, well, no, we all, we're human. We all make mistakes. We, that's, we have to learn those tough lessons. And, and there have been some horrific times over the years, you know? So I, I think, I've always been very ambitious and I've always kind of gone at hundred miles an hour and set myself targets almost, you know, it's like when I started out in television, I wanted to be a researcher. Then I wanted to work in feature films and then I wanted to move to music videos. And I did all these things because I always set myself targets and I achieved it. But then kind of, I was, I never felt complete. And I think it's possibly because I'd maybe followed my heart early on I'd kind of which actually maybe I could have speeded things up so I'm now completely going back on what I just said because I think from starting out being passionate about animals and the environment I went off into this um, glamorous so-called glamorous world of film and mu music industries thinking that that's what would complete me as a person and I'd lost sight of the fact that my true complete and utter passion were, were animals and the environment you know so perhaps if I'd thought that earlier on and not got caught up in this whole pursuit of fame and fortune kind of lifestyle uh, then yes maybe I could have been doing more all of that said the experience I've learned in the film industry and my love of film is what's enabled me to work on this current project and to actually be able to say to those people oh I you know I did stuff with Jay-Z and Calvin Harris and and they're kind of oh okay so you've done some good stuff so you must be okay at what you do so I guess you know you can look at things both ways can't you um you know it's all part of the journey as they say 
Yeah, so though, though the motivation for doing it at the time was not in service of the mission, um, you know, with hindsight, you can see how what you've learned from yeah. doing pop videos or whatever you know, has been partly about social proof. Yes. You yeah. know, and, and reputation building and skills yeah. building. So you're ultimately of more service to the issue yeah. than yeah. the mission. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you don't, have to, you don't have to take a linear route to it, you know. No, you, no, you know, no, for, no, for, no. For people I, just starting out, you know, sometimes it's it's best to think about in the long run, how could you yeah. be of best service to things you really care about? And yes. it's not necessarily about getting straight involved in them. Yeah, exactly. It's about honing your skills, isn't it, and developing as a person, I think. And yeah. and I definitely learned a lot along the way. So I mean, you mentioned loads of mistakes. What what stands out in your mind as as the thing that that hurt the most and and that you've probably learnt the most from? Uh, going into music videos was a massive mistake. Even though I worked with some amazing people and had some great times, it was just a world full of ego and money and wasn't the right place for somebody with a fairly sensitive soul. And and the culmination of that was I did a job for quite a big artist um, and I was sort of contracted by one of their companies um, and they never paid me so I lost everything basically and that um, caused well I lost everything personally and financially um, and ended up with uh, suffering from really chronic depression um, and it took me probably four or five years to rebuild from that um, which and it, looking back it was all a good thing because I mean, I went through some horrific times, really dark times. And, but that actually was the catalyst probably for me thinking, what am I doing with my life? I need to do something that, what's my purpose? I need to get back to doing what I should be doing and, you know, not wasting my time in this quite fake world really. Um, so that it, it was actually, even though it was awful and I, I still kind of, my heart still kind of beats fast when I think about some of the bad times, it was absolutely needed because it forced me to look. Sorry, the window cleaner just arrived up in my, up my window. Yeah, it forced me. It really, the bad times forced me to reevaluate what I wanted for my life. Yeah. And, and as a result, it, you know, I I'm, came onto this phase of my journey, which, as I said earlier, has become the best time of my life since being a child so oh it's fun you know as a parent of children the last thing you want is your children to go through pain but actually you know it's it's sometimes it's it's those moments that 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 the catalyst for galvanizing your your conviction around something um and they're absolutely necessary uh, along your journey however painful they are at the time I mean, yeah. there's a broad smile on your face now, so I'm assuming you're a bit more circumspect about the experience, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you, yeah, you seem to be yeah. in a, a place you want to be in. Yeah, definitely. I've learned a lot. I've, I've learned. I mean, it, it was it was tough in terms of lessons about how not to be naive. Um, even though I'm probably still quite naive, but I would rather be a kind, compassionate, and slightly naive, sensitive person than somebody who's hard-nosed and who's just out to get as much money as they can and hurt people along the way, you know. So I'm, you know, it, I'm never going to change as a person, but I'll, I, I've become a bit wiser, you know. But I'm still very trusting. And, and I think also it's about working with the right people. This, you know, the project I'm on now, the team have been amazing. And it's just, 
good lovely people who you know at the end of meetings they say things like you know we just want to change the world and it's kind of what more could you want you know that's that's what life should be about not the pursuit of wealth and fame and you know so let me br- unless you use wealth and fame to uh, save animals and then um, that's fine do it <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's come back to the the beginning um the first thing you mentioned was about about uh, um legacy you know, um, looking back on your life in old age and thinking, I'm proud of what I've achieved. Have you got a growing sense of what that what that looks and feels like? Yeah, I want to know that I've done everything I can to change the world for animals. So I thought a couple of years ago, when I kind of laid that out as my life goal, that it could it would probably be fairly minor and that even if I could think, you know, you've, you've worked on this or you've saved a few cows or whatever, then that would be great because I've made a difference. Um, however, now I th- I'm thinking in a much bigger scale, but I think within probably five years, there'll be cultured meats will be on the market. So they will ultimately replace animals being slaughtered for anybody that still wants to eat meat. And then obviously this growing surge in plant-based living, you know, veganism and vegetarianism will also from the other side, will will start to, or will con- continue to, to shift things. Um, so now I hope that when I, if, you know, if I hopefully get to a fairly old age, older, <laughs> um, I, I would love if no animals are slaughtered anymore, um, and if we, you know, and I, and I truly believe that if animals, if we stop slaughtering animals, world peace won't be that far behind because there are absolute parallels between all the big movements of society from women's lib to um, racism and slavery and all those problems and animal rights. There are very strong parallels between those movements. I know there are still issues with slavery and with um, women's rights, um, but animal rights is the one that we really now need to 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 completely change. And um, you know, we need to we need to make sure that every single person on the planet is doing something to create a better world. And then, you know, world peace, regardless of governments, world world peace will will be achieved. We won't need governments to 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 invade other countries or to have peace talks in you know because it will come from the bottom up leave it to the people yeah completely rachel it's been a pleasure talking to you thanks so much for joining us thank you so much for having me i'm your host tony cook and i'm on a mission to provide inspiration and insight for people changing their world so check out changehackers.org to read show notes guest blogs and subscribe to access bonus content remember this show's for you and change hackers like you So drop me a line, tell me what you love, what you hate, or ideas you have for improving the show. And let me know if you know someone who'd make a great guest on this show. Maybe a friend, someone you work with, maybe even you. Just use the contact form at changehackers.org. I'd love to hear from you. Till next time, Change Hackers.